Yo, and welcome into week four of pre-gaming the SEC brought to you by Walk-Ons Sports Bistro, walk-ons.com to find a location near you. Jacob Hester, Chris Doring here with you for another week. CD, my man, always a pleasure. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, I'm doing well, man. And uh, you you were actually doing a lot better than uh, probably this time last week, man. I, I was shocked. Maybe the biggest takeaway of the entire uh weekend last week was it was uh lsu beating mississippi state which i guess maybe me holding mississippi state in too high a regard or perhaps me taking too much away from that uh florida state loss two weeks ago but uh man really impressed and we we can i guess we can jump right into it now if you'd like but um you know there's some, some things that i was really impressed with that the lsu yeah. tigers uh made me rethink last week yeah, well, I'm glad you said we can jump right into it because that's exactly where I'm going with Hold My Beer. Now, as we know, that is a standout performance. That is a moment, good or bad, from week three. And mine is a very good one if you're an LSU Tiger fan. And my Hold My Beer goes to the LSU defense and mm. Matt House, the yes. defensive coordinator for LSU. And if we're picking players from LSU, Jay Ward moves from the safety position to the nickel position and thrives. B.J. Ojolari was somebody that got after the quarterback in Will Rogers. LSU had four sacks on the night. Mississippi State had only given up three in their first two games, and they were able to put a game plan together that really just confused a team that I didn't really think you would be able to confuse in Mississippi State offensively. And moving Jay Ward to the nickel position, and C.D., you know this, when you were playing, when I was playing, if you played nickel, you were at best the team's third best cover yeah. option. That's just what you were. Well, teams are smart, and offensive players and coaches were smarter than defensive players. I don't know if anybody knows that. That's just <laughs> the facts, right? So, well, you know, look, they started to put their best receiver in the slot a lot. And so you had your best route runner, your best playmaker going against the team's third best corner. Well, defensive teams, they actually got pretty smart about it, and they moved better players into, into that position. And Jay Ward is somebody that started his LSU career at corner. So he's got cover skills, moved to safety. He's been a great player for LSU, unheralded player really for LSU. They move him into the nickel position and he thrived. He was the SEC defensive player of the week. He had 11 tackles. He had a tackle and a half um, for lost TFLs there. He had the game-clinching interception, and he played a really, really solid game. I mentioned B.J. Ojolari. He had a tackle. Let's see. He had four tackles. He had a sack and a half and two and a half tackles for a loss and two quarterback hurries. And Will Rogers, who had thrown for 400-plus yards in the first two games, only throws for 214, one touchdown, one interception, 24 of 42 and Mississippi State as a team, they were only three of 14 on third down, one of four on fourth down. So four of 18 in the downs that are the money downs. If you're a defensive player, only 289 yards of total offense. So hold my beer goes to LSU, the entire defense, Matt House calling the plays and Jay Ward, B.J. Ojolari and Harold Perkins as well true freshman harold perkins by the way yeah hey there's a there's a number of folks and i want to give them credit we had uh we had brian kelly on our show on monday morning and um ask him directly about the game plan uh, certainly madhouse deserved a game ball after that one because they, they came up with a great plan 
ask him what the game, game plan was. And, and he said, hey, we're going to cover the back out of the backfield. We're going to make Will Rogers hold the football a little longer. We're going to make him go through his progressions. I thought that LSU defense was flying around. They were fast. They were physical. And more importantly, they were sure tacklers. Because as you know, yards after the catch is really what makes that air raid offense so dangerous. So they made him hold the ball a little longer. They were able to get home and, and, and get those four sacks and pressure him all day long. But they were also able to take those five-yard catches and limit them and not let them turn into 10 or 12-yard gains like, like we're, we're typically uh, seeing of this year's Mississippi State offense. So credit to uh, that entire group. They were fantastic and certainly were able to they, – they were, they were holding it down. We're talking about holding the beer. They were holding it down until LSU's offense decided to participate a little bit, and Austin Williams was in a bit of a giving mood as well. But I thought that uh, that was a, a great performance from an LSU defense that has been spotty the last couple of years. So nice one there. I'm going to go with it. This is a, an easy one. There was a couple other folks that I was thinking of. This one goes to Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers really hadn't been targeted very much through the first couple games of the yeah. season. And you could tell Todd Munkin was like, all right, we're going to get our best player of the football and we're going to get it to him a number of different ways. Had the, uh, the catch, uh, the, the, the reverse the end around, let's call it end around. This is a legitimate end around too, with a tight end around, which you don't typically see. He ended up uh, scoring a touchdown on the ground and had a couple more receiving as well. Love the play design from Todd Munkin in terms of getting him the football. The play action pass was beautifully drawn up, getting the flow and the linebacker and the safety's eyes with the, uh, the, the movement of the offensive line and the, the uh, sniffer up front. And then uh, certainly just uh, love the way they, they use him outside. They use him inside attached. They use him running the football. It's just, it's fun to see how creative that Georgia offense can be in finding yeah. a way to get him the football. And I, I, I'm going to ask you this question. Is he the best player in the SEC? I know we could talk about Will Anderson and Bryce Young, and we could talk about, you know, some of the uh, – Drew Sanders has been tremendous as well for Arkansas. But, like, is Brock Bowers the best player in the SEC? That's a great question. And, obviously, you can form it a, a bunch of different ways, as you mentioned. But, like, when I think of best player, I start to think of guys that can take a game over, guys that are going to play a long time in the NFL, guys that – they're going to be able to say whenever their football career is over and not somebody else tell them when it's over. And he has that feel to it. I mean, we could have an argument. We could throw a, a group of maybe five, six players into this category, but he's in it. He's certainly in it. Brock Bowers will play for as long as he wants to play football. Yeah. And that's the biggest compliment that I can give you because the Turk usually comes for everybody. He's not coming for Brock Bowers. Brock Bowers decides when he's done playing football. I'll tell you this. He's he's able to decide when he's done playing football, but he's not able to decide when he's going to the NFL because that guy is NFL ready right now. And luckily, yeah. because of the rules as they stand currently, we get to see him back for another season. So it's uh, crazy to think about how dominant he is right now and how much he would be able to do the same uh, amount of damage in the NFL level as a as a true sophomore. Yeah. I'm right there with you. It's such a talented tight end room there for Georgia, but the way he plays football, the connection that him and Stutzen Bennett, we're committing to Stutzen Bennett. It's no yeah. longer Stetson Bennett. It's Stutzen Bennett. The connection that they have, it's fantastic. And Georgia, I mean, what can we say about them? And there was a great ESPN.com article. Bill Conley put it together, and it had the 33 unbeaten teams and kind of ranking those teams. And it had different numbers, but one of the things it had was strength of schedule to this point. Yeah. And of the 33 undefeated teams, Georgia's had the toughest schedule. Just think about that. Georgia's well, had the toughest schedule and the way that they've dominated. I think it's a little misleading. What are we basing those 
those statistics on toughest look it's a lot of numbers i'm a meathead look you're asking me a lot of difficult questions right now i'm just going with bill Conley's formula here he's definitely one that i would depend on to crunch the numbers properly (laughs) because he's uh he's very adept at at making numbers uh fit a narrative but i'll say this like i i they are unquestionably the number one team in the country like i i thought it was going to be alabama heading into this season we've seen some some potential Achilles heel from the, 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 uh, the, the Crimson Tide, whether it be offensive line, whether it be concerns at the receiver spot. But the things that I was worried about for Georgia have not been a factor. The guys stepping into new roles for that defense have not missed a beat. Offensively, they've opened it up. They've become more aggressive. They're certainly balanced, if not more uh, leaning to the passing game, which I don't think yep. anybody was really thinking was going to be a possibility for this year's team. So I'm with you. Thank you to uh, Stetson Bennett representing walk-ons everywhere. Uh, we're representing walk-ons. Appreciate the uh, the sponsorship from that great group. But I, I love Stetson Bennett continuing to have that chip on his shoulder and proving yep. people wrong every time he goes out there, including throwing up on the sideline and, and not wanting to leave the game. Like I, I love listening <laughs> to Kirby talk about that because yeah. he 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 was he was talking about how much how gritty he is. And, and nowadays, I think people would would say, "Oh man, he he's probably dehydrated. Probably get him out of the football game." You and I throw back like we we ain't giving anybody else our reps. I will never no. a walk on is never going to give anybody an opportunity to be Wally pipped, right? I'm not letting somebody else come in there and give my take my job away. So that's no. a Bennett was not about to come out of that football game. Against no, South you're Carolina. not about to put one of the guys who has a law firm name into the game <laughs> and him go, you know, 10 of 10 and throw for 180 yards and a couple. No, that ain't happening. Nope. Not on my way. You know my story. As soon as they gave me that running back spot in the 05 Peach Bowl, y'all not getting this back. Yep. I'm not going back to fullback, and yep. you're not going to the number one on RB1 on the depth chart. So I can appreciate that as well. I really look, since we've already we passed out our beers, I gave mine to LSU's defense. You gave yours to Brock Bowers. I think we can go ahead and start last call and get Big Turp involved here. And Big Turp, just for you know the purposes of the segment, Ask us about the Georgia Bulldogs real quick in the first last call. I think we should start with the Georgia Bulldogs, if that's okay <laughs> with you guys. Uh, what a great producer. Good I job. I mean, come man. on, man. You, you, you do what the people want here. And uh, <laughs> it's a beauty, two birds, one stone, because after I hear about Georgia, I want to hear about South Carolina from you guys. Uh, Georgia won that game 48-7 on Saturday. Just absolute blowout. We're not going to talk about the best bets and who had what just yet, unfortunately, Hess. Uh, but, yeah, last call, dogs, what do we got? Here's here's the deal. So last call, we give you like a rapid fire what we know about the team to this point. I'll give you both teams. Georgia, you're the best team in the country. That's all I got to say. Yeah. South Carolina, you're not where I thought you would be at this point. You have not figured some things out offensively. I thought you would get them figured out because you actually had a quarterback and not somebody that was from another position or somebody that was in the coaching booth. You're not there offensively. So that's what I know about you. Now you fight like hell. Calling the Gamecocks effort in, into question, I, I agree with Shane after the game. That's not that's not a question. Yeah, They're just not there offensively. So that's what I know about both those teams. Georgia, you're the best. South Carolina, yeah. you're not there offensively. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I um, I, I thought that question from Phil, whoever Phil was, that asked uh, Shane Beamer <laughs> Come about on, Phil. Quinn. <laughs> yeah, it was a great soundbite, but uh, you'll never see those guys give up. Uh, they do have yeah. a lot of fight in them, unfortunately still looking to narrow the talent gap between the best team in the conference and, and where they are. Uh, I thought it didn't help obviously to lose guys like Jordan Strawn and, and Mo Kava, uh, two of their, their more productive uh, players and, and leaders on that team. 
uh, five starters down defensively for the South Carolina Gamecocks. So unfortunately, my concern heading into the year was that their team may be better, but their record may not reflect it this year. Right. I think because of the injuries, too, that they're sustaining, it may be hard to even match that win total of last year. All right, Big Terp, who are we going to next? All right, um, I don't know if you guys saw the stat throughout the week, but you know the last time Kentucky shut out a team before Saturday? I do 2006, not. right? 2009, season 2009. opener of that year. So, yeah, they won 31-0 over Youngstown State. Let's go last call, Kentucky. What do we got? All right, my last call, Kentucky, Hess, is that they may have the best group of pass catchers in the SEC, the whole most complete group of pass catchers, right? Tavion Robinson has been great in his uh, transfer from, from Virginia Tech. Dane Key, obviously, making a, a name for himself. But you're talking about guys in that, that class. Varian Brown has, has been showing out. Yep. The tight ends are amazing as well. Like This is a, a very talented group of, of skill players in the passing game that Kentucky hasn't seen the likes of before. Can you imagine when they actually do get, uh, get Chris Rodriguez back and they do get that offensive line going. Like, I love the way the schedule sets up for them because it, it's given them an opportunity to get past mm-hmm. some of the issues that they're having, certainly with Rodriguez being absent. But the offensive line, they played the offensive line until the last two or three plays of the game in an effort to create more chemistry and continuity together. They're going to continue to do that. They play – who they play this week? Is it Northern Illinois, I believe, that they play yep. this week? They Northern do. Illinois this week before the big one in Oxford against Ole Miss. I, I think that this this uh, this team is going to continue to get better, and you're going to start hearing about some of these names from uh, this freshman class and and uh, the rest of the the tight end group as well. They are fantastic at catching those footballs from Will Levis. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And when you go out there and you take care of business, you always hear me talk about stepping stones. This is a stepping stone for Kentucky because this game last year, even though I think they were a good team i talked about last week they're now a good football program and that's different than being a good football team they struggled with ut chattanooga last year remember that was a dog fight yeah they play youngstown state it's a good program in the fcs what do they do they take care of business they take care of business they score 21 points in the second quarter they put it away early and they go win 31 to nothing that is when you become from a good football team to a good football program you do what you're supposed to do you take care of your business in a game like that and it's just another sign for me that Kentucky is where they need to be. And they just got to continue to stack up and get to those stepping stones that make you really in rarefied air. When yeah. we start talking about, you know, possibly the third best team in the SEC, we think they're there already. You know what I'm hearing from people? I'm hearing people start to get on that train with us. Hess. I'm hearing people talk about the fact that they may be the second best team in the East. They may be the third best team in the conference. A song that you and I have been singing Kinda, back long I want to push people SEC. off the train a little bit. I'm like, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. This thing, I, this thing left the station. You weren't. I on heard it, okay? somebody say, and I, I, I'm going to stand to this until November 19th, that I believe that that Kentucky's going to beat Georgia in Lexington on November 19th. There could be a lot on the line in that game, but I've heard people say that maybe the best competition of the season is not necessarily Tennessee. It may not necessarily be Florida. But in fact, the Kentucky Wildcats, and I, I think you and I believe that, and I think they're going to continue to get better as the season goes on. I can't wait to watch that game in mid-November. I'm going to actually be at that game. We'll find a way to get you at that game. Big Terp, we'll see if you can come to that game as well. But let's go to the next team here in last call. All right, let's go Ole Miss. I'll just keep the uh, shutout trivia working. Yep. Their last shutout, because they shut out G- Georgia Tech over the weekend. Before that, the last one was 2008. 
against Mississippi State. Do you know when the last Power Five non-SEC shutout was for Ole Miss? No idea. No clue. Florida State in 1961. Oh, man. Was Burt Reynolds playing for Florida State back then? (laughs) You guys didn't know that? All right, no, No. 42-0 over the Yellow Jackets. Uh, Hess, we'll start with you. Last call, uh, Ole Miss. I think they've got maybe the best running back room in the SEC. In the country, my friend. Yeah. In the country. I think you might be right. They can turn it around, and they can hand it off to so many different dudes. And I mean dudes. I don't mean guys. And Jackson Dart in this game, he had, you know, 10 carries for 40 yards. He ran off a 20-yarder. They are scary running the football. And that's the thing about Lane that people don't realize. He will adapt to what he has. Last year, he had Matt Corral. Now, he had talented running backs, and they would run the football. But now he realizes that his best group is his running back group. So what are they doing? They ran the football 62 times against Georgia Tech for 316, six tutters. Six they have they, the best running back room. How about this? In the country. I'll coach them with you. They, they are – the misconception is that they are a passing first team that Lane Kiffin wants to air it out. Certainly he wants to take shots when he can, but the bread and butter of that offense is running the football. Zach Evans uh, has been tremendous since coming over from TCU. Ulysses Bennett, the freshman, Quinson Judkins. I, 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 I'm all about that group, and uh, I think I got turned on to it early. I want to give shout-out to our girl, uh, Alyssa Lang, who – uh, turned us on to that group of of running backs yeah. early in the uh, in the preseason. So I like that group, but I'm going to go back to what Big Turp mentioned: the shutout against a Power Five opponent on the road. One of my big questions heading into the season has was, how do you replace my uh, DJ Durkin, who went over to Texas A&M to take mm-hmm. over from Mike Elko? Like he had done such a tremendous job of getting those guys alignment sound, assignment sound, playing with great effort tackling people becoming more physical like losing him i thought was going to be a big issue but it has not been for maurice crumb and chris partridge the co-defensive coordinators who i think have taken it to the next level and i know time will tell as we get into sec play but them playing the kind of defense that they did saturday against georgia tech leads me to believe that this is not a fluke that this defense is for real and if they can partner with that uh, play play complementary football with that offense that seems to know its identity this team has a chance to repeat that 10-win season they had last year. Yeah, I agree with you. Undefeated team that we probably need to start talking way more about. All right, Big Turb, what you got? All right, let's go Missouri. 34-17 win over Abilene Christian. We'll start with you, Hess. What do you got? Last call. I still – I just have so many question marks about Missouri. And they did what they were supposed to do. They scored 34 points. They got a victory there. But I just, I, I still just don't know who this team is. Like, love it getting 132 yards and two touchdowns. Like, that's exciting. And Cook having an efficient day at the quarterback position. But can I, I, just, can I, I answer? I, can I take this? I want to take, I'm going to hold your beer for a second. I'm going to take this. You got it. Hey, it's an easy answer, right? The first time they put Luther Burden at the punt return position, he goes, Hey, hold my beer, returns <laughs> it for a touchdown, has 111 yards in the receiving and the yeah. return game on Saturday. He, they, he caught passes. He counted for 177 yards. They handed it off to him three times. Like, this guy is your go-to player. He's the one you got to get the football to. And I like the fact that they did it and didn't just do it on offense, but put him in a position where he can do it in the return game as well. There's a lot of coaches that don't necessarily want to put their, their best player out on special teams like that. But Eli yeah. Drinkwood said, hey, we need you. We need Has you to, to go out there and do it. Uh, hey, I, and, and Victor, maybe you can repeat the stat that uh, you told us the other day. But uh, I thought it was an impactful one from high school that uh, Luther Burden had. Yeah, uh, 
senior season, 21 total punt returns. Punt returns? Yeah, punt returns. 21 total punt returns, eight to the house this yeah, senior okay. season. That's okay. a good number. The guy PB knows how with to that return stat. kicks. Yeah, that PB repurposed uh, PB's uh, stat there. But, Hester, that, that was my takeaway. In addition to Brady Cook, Brady Cook looked better. Uh, hopefully he yeah. can grow from, from that experience, grow from the negative experience in Manhattan, Kansas. But, mm. uh, obviously, a big game this week uh, with, I think, what will probably be maybe the most even roster talent of the season that, that either Auburn and Missouri will play when it comes to SEC games. Uh, can we just go to the Auburn Tigers, Big Terp? We we good with that? That's where I was going, unfortunately. I, I'm, I'm going to leave it pretty short and sweet. Dysfunctional. That's a dysfunctional football team. I, I really don't even – like, I want to add on to it, but if I, if I feel like if I start to add on to it, it's just going to continue to roll down the hill. Uh, Penn State beat you up. They mauled That's you. They scored five rushing touchdowns. The crowd was in it, but I don't blame them for not being in it after that game got out of hand. Dysfunctional. Is it is it dysfunction or just a lack of talent? To me, it was like they just don't have they they weren't nearly as good at every position as what Penn but, State was. But Can Brad Nessler's calling them out. Brad Nessler's like, hey, give Tank Bigsby the ball. Like, what are we doing? They sure. gave him the ball, and then like immediately they gave it to him. It was like a 30 plus yard play. Like, that's dysfunctional to me. Like, I understand what you're saying. Like, there's some deficiencies on that roster. But it's like nobody's on the same page there. They haven't been since they were six and two last year. Like after they went six and two, the dysfunction just started. And I just, I like Brian Harson a lot, but it just does not feel like that is going to be the spot for him to thrive at all. Like I have no good feelings about it. Pastor, I, I gave Auburn the benefit of the doubt. I thought they would have a home field environment that would help fuel their team to victory, and it was great. which they did. But I also thought that SEC talent would overtake the athleticism, the, the strength, the physicality would overtake Penn State when they came down this way. It was quite the opposite. You go back and look at tackles for loss, 11 for Penn State, three for, for Auburn, six sacks for Penn State, not a single sack for Auburn. Like, what happened to the Auburn Tiger defensive lines we used to know that used to be able to, to single-handedly, they had game wreckers on that defensive line and they made zero impact whatsoever. You talked about getting manhandled on the offensive uh, or the defensive line. Penn State ran for 245 yards. A true freshman in, in Nick Singleton runs for 124 on 10 carries. Like those yeah. numbers are embarrassing. And to me, indicate that there is a real lack of talent on that roster right now. And uh, I'm not so sure. Like I said, maybe Missouri, the only team that they'll match up against in the, in the conference this year, that is on the same level when it comes to, to talent. I mean, Tank Bigsby touched the ball a total of 11 times. Ashford had more carries than Tank Bigsby. TJ Finley had the same amount of carries as Tank Bigsby. Yeah. So, yes, it's a town issue, but it's also, hey, you've got You're a right. dude, one of your few dudes, you should probably get him the football. So, dysfunction and dysfunctional is what I know about the Auburn Tigers right now. You're right. Big time. Yep. What we like doing on this show is cashing tickets. What we really like doing is cashing season-long over-unders on Before September September. 17th. September 17th. That's over Let's two go. and a half for your Vanderbilt Commodores. CD, we'll start with you, man. You've been on that two and a half yeah. for a long time. They win 38-28 in comeback fashion over Northern Illinois. So last call, Vanderbilt, what you got? I, I mentioned it after the Hawaii game. I'm going to double down on it now, Hess. Resiliency is the word that comes to mind. This team does not get flustered when a mistake happens or they find themselves down. Coming out of the locker room in the second half, Northern Illinois has a big, long catch and run for a touchdown, and, and they're down 
they're down 14 points and they don't blink. I thought the game was over with. Here comes AJ Swan. Uh, here comes Will Shepard. Those guys put on a show. Uh, Ray Davis, like coming back and scoring 24 unanswered to win that game after in a double digit deficit and win by double digits to me was something Vanderbilt hadn't done in a long time. No. And they that that reflects the coach. What Clark Lee's done to instill the, the fight and the never give up attitude to me is the biggest place that his fingerprint can be seen on this team. They were a two-win team a year ago. They got beat up by East Tennessee State at home. And now I know that it's Northern Illinois, but that team has a real opportunity to win their conference. And you went and you found a way to win. And you mentioned Swan. He had four tutters in this game. I thought he played extremely well. I thought he made the, the best decisions when he had to make those decisions. Davis ran the football at a very efficient clip, and they got three Caught wins. Caught a touchdown, too? Yes, they got three wins, fellas. They've hey. done it. They have achieved what we knew they could. And how about the fact that, like, all we talked about heading into the season after SEC Media Days was Mike Wright. Mike Wright had this tremendous breakout <laughs> performance. And I feel bad for him in a way. Yeah. Didn't have a great game in the loss against Wake Forest and some bad weather. But A.J. Swan went in and lit it up in the second half of that game. He lit it up yeah. against Northern Illinois. This is an encouraging sign for me. The fact that they were able to get an Elite 11 guy like that to come to, to Vanderbilt and he's playing and having success early yep. is only going to feed that, that fire a little bit more and tell other guys that are interested in, in not only playing in the SEC, getting a great education and living in a tremendous city. Like I, I think this could be a great advertisement for what the possibilities are for this Commodore program going forward. All right, big Terp. Let's go rapid fire with a couple of these. What we got left. Yeah. What do you take away from an Alabama 63, seven win over you and UL Monroe has. Yeah, sure. I mean, I know they lost to UL Monroe in 2007. That's about where the storyline stops. They go and they score 63 points. This used to be a game that they didn't cover. They covered. I'm not hitting panic on Alabama. Alabama's going to be just fine. Do I think they're in the Georgia territory? No, they're not. Georgia's actually there by themselves. And I know that Young threw two interceptions in this game. A lot of people wanted to point to that. Alabama's fine. Yes, Georgia's the class, but Alabama's not that far off. Alabama's going to be fine. I'm not hitting panic. I think the thing about Alabama teams, and you know this better than, than anybody having played for Coach Saban, is that they're going to get better as the season goes on, yes. right? That last year, they were a team that was very young, very inexperienced at a lot of positions and got better and better so much so that they were able to win the SEC championship game against the ultimate national champ. Like this team is going to get better. Uh, this was a game that I think showed some flaws. To me, the flaws that I saw were, hey, they go out, they score a touchdown in offense, defense, and special teams in the first six minutes and 10 seconds of the game and then lost focus, took the foot off the gas a little bit until that final drive of the second or first half. With a with a going what from the seven yard line they put a a, a ninety three yard drive together with just over a minute to score a touchdown that kind of put them back into a greater sense of urgency. So if it were anything that I would be concerned about, it's like hey, I know we're young, I know you're used to being able to just throttle teams, but we got to keep our intensity and our focus up for a full sixty minutes. Yeah. Something I think they did not necessarily do for much of the second quarter. All right, let's go. One more game here because then we're going to save Tennessee, Florida, AM, Arkansas for our pre-gaming segment because we're diving into those games. But we got a twofer, LSU and Mississippi State. So we got a good takeaway, LSU, and not as good, Mississippi yeah. State. CD, we'll start with you, man. What do you take away from both teams from this game? Uh, I think for, for LSU, you know, I, I saw a team that I had on life support that I've said to you guys, I, I didn't necessarily see a sure win left on their SEC schedule. 
But with the way that that Madhouse defense played with the level of, of speed and physicality that I saw on the tape, rallying to the football, dominating the offensive line. Hess, how many times did we see Mississippi State go for it? They went for it four times, I believe, on fourth down. Ran the same play essentially three times in a row. Yeah. Uh, Mississippi State made it the first time. And then the second two attempts were completely swarmed with penetration, not only up the middle of the field, but coming off the edges. They, the dudes were fast and physical and uh, able to get to the running back before they could really get much of a, a, a head of steam going. So I like where LSU is headed. And I believe in Brian Kelly being able to fix some of yeah. those errors in the first game of the season that, that made them look just poorly coached is right. something that surprised me. So for Mississippi State, they're just not quite ready for that moment. And we thought maybe they were, and they're still a good team. I think they're a stable program, but they're not ready for that moment to have expectations to go into Baton Rouge and be a favorite and go take control of that game. They're just not there yet. We'll see if they can get there. So that's what I know about them. They're good, but they're not ready to be great. And then for LSU, I kind of said it in my Hold My Beer segment about the LSU defense, but I want to say one quick thing. This roster has got some talent, and we know that. We've known that. We've talked about it. But you've got a true freshman, Will Campbell, starting left tackle, a true freshman, Emory Jones, starting at right tackle, and Harold Perkins, a five-star linebacker that absolutely showed out and made some smart football plays on Saturday against Mike Leach and one of those offenses that gives everyone headaches. Well, he actually – thrived against that offense so they've got talent that talent has to continue to develop LSU they're not going to have the championship season that we've seen them have they're going to beat one of the big boys they're going to beat one of the big boys on their schedule because they have the talent they're going to get better every week what does it look like at the end of the year record wise we don't know but they're going to be the big boys so the big boys give me the big boys that you think are subject to potentially going down to LSU I mean Tennessee, Alabama, uh, A&M, Arkansas, one of those teams. I mean, I consider Arkansas, Tennessee, and Alabama a big boy, right? Arkansas, Tennessee, considered to be big boys, and LSU is not. It's funny how quickly things can change in this league. Yeah, that's where it's at right now, though. Would you agree? I agree. I agree. Hey, well, great segue. Uh, Let's pregame the SEC. Let's talk about Tennessee. They've got this little old team from Gainesville heading up to Knoxville to uh, take on the number 15 ranked Tennessee Volunteers. But all jokes aside, it's game day. It's a great atmosphere. Neyland's going to be rocking. I want to get your perspective because Tennessee is a double-digit favorite in this game against the Florida Gators. Florida is a team. They're still ranked in the top 25. Everybody jumped off Florida really quick after that Kentucky loss. Almost like Kentucky's not a damn good football team, which – I kind of I kind of don't like that. I don't like that everybody's like, oh, Kentucky beat them by 10. Kentucky's a top 10 team. Yeah. I know last week looked a little – actually, it looked a lot of hairy. Not a little hairy against South Florida. But what do you think the Gators have to do to go up to Knoxville to pull off the upset? Yeah, I, I think the reason why you see people getting off that, that Florida train – and again, it's funny how quick things can change because after that Utah win, you know, you're talking about people thinking that Florida had a chance to maybe go to the SEC championship game, that they had a potential Heisman Trophy winner on the roster this year. Both of those things are not true this season. I think that that Billy Napier certainly has the team headed in the right direction. I think Anthony Richardson will continue to get better. But the fact of the matter is, he is not a good passer at this point in time. He's got a great arm. He's got the tools, but still have, hasn't, have, is having a hard time, you know, reading things out and throwing the ball with the great accuracy that you need. Yeah. Florida needs to embrace who they are and what their strengths are. 
the strength of the team has is the offensive line and that running back room. Montreal Johnson, the transfer from, from Louisiana, has been a godsend. Trevor Etienne, the brother of Travis Etienne, has, has but, been tremendous yeah. in his freshman year. And Naquan Wright has been around for a couple of years now, still uh, being a nice contributor with what he can bring you. So I, I think they've got to possess the football on offense. The plan should be, let's run the ball. Let's try to impose our will. Let's be physical up front. And most importantly, let's keep the ball away from Tennessee's offense. Let's take some of the air out of the game and shorten this thing as much as we possibly can and hope that we can get into the fourth quarter and have an opportunity to be within a score because Florida cannot score with Tennessee. If Tennessee st starts getting that tempo going, if they're starting to hit some of the big plays that they are able to, uh, Florida's not going to be able to keep up. They just don't have the explosiveness now. But if they can keep it close, if they can keep the ball away, if they can make it a one-possession football game in the, in the fourth quarter, I think they've got a chance to uh, to maybe pull one out. That, that's the question, though, is, is is can the game plan be executed well enough in the first three quarters to keep that thing close into the fourth? Real quick, you mentioned running back, and we know Anthony Richardson can run the football in his own right. With Tennessee's offense and how fast they want to go, you also have to be conscious of the clock as well, right? Like you want to try to keep the ball away from that explosive Tennessee offense. So even if you know, you have a game plan where you want to get Richardson going, like even that has to be high percentage throws, right? Because I think it's all about clock management going against yeah. Tennessee. Pittsburgh actually did a pretty decent job of it. Pittsburgh just couldn't block them up front. Yeah, I'll say this. I think Anthony Richardson is much better outside of the pocket throwing the football too. Asking him to take his steps and throw it uh, in the pocket may not be where he's most comfortable. So I think having the success in the run game Using him on some of the play action passes, the nakeds, the boots, getting him outside is where you're going to put more pressure on a defense, and it's where he's going to feel more comfortable. Now, I want to ask you as an outsider, I don't know how much you've heard of the some of the sound coming out of, of his press conferences and what you've read in the paper, but multiple games now he's admitted that he has been shook by something in the game where made a play, something happened, bothered in the rest of the game, and and, and kind of the the – one of the things that he talked about this week was he was concerned talking to his mom about the fact that he'd thrown four interceptions and no touchdowns yet. Part of the, the thing was he would look great in the first half and on the football seven of nine Hester, he was making the right reads. He was throwing the football accurately and on time, but when things started to go bad, he can't write the ship. And so from as a former player and an outsider to the Florida program, does that concern you when you hear him not only say these things, but say them publicly acknowledging them to, the people that are essentially going to be playing against them, like the game plan should be, we got to get to him early because once we do, he's not going to be able to, yeah. to battle back from that. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I, it's just not something I would have ever done. I certainly would not have let everyone else know that I was kind of going through that. And we know this game is so much more than physically. Like, and I'm not trying to be funny. There's a reason that you and I got a chance to play as long as we did. Right. It wasn't because of the physical gifts. Now we had some skill, but it was mentally as well. Yeah. Like mental toughness, like me the mentality of it is yes, preparation and being ready and doing the little things when nobody else is doing it, all that. But it's also like being mentally tough and knowing like what you're going to go through is not going to be easy and you have to have that mental advantage. And so that's certainly part of it. And that's a young player that doesn't have a lot of experience that hopefully he's, you know, had conversations with older teammates and he's had conversations with his new coaching staff and they can kind of work through that and be like, hey, that's just not something that we can give to our opponent. You try not to give anything to your opponent. And at that position, 
that's the position you have to be as mentally tough as yeah. any because you could be the greatest of all time and they're still going to have critics out on you like yeah i, I mean joe burrow in in 2019 what he did for lsu like there were still people early in that season that wanted him to do other things and and run the football and do whatever it was like that's just going to happen yeah. it doesn't matter how well you play and you just have to know that going into that position yeah outside of playing cornerback i don't know that there's a position more uh, requiring the ability to move on and turn the page from the last one than quarterback so i'm with you there are a couple notes to uh to to be aware of uh ventro miller out for florida's defense not sure about his status uh, coming up in this game and cedric tillman I, I'm hearing things about Cedric Tillman's injury that may be worse than what we were led to believe. Not sure whether or not he will be available. So two of the bigger players on the opposing sides of the ball when uh, Tennessee has the football to uh, yeah. to be aware of their their presence. Yeah, going to be an interesting one there in Knoxville again. I just don't know. Ten and a half points seems like a lot of points. And if Florida is able to go up there and get an upset, the narrative once again yeah. changes for the Florida Gators. Also a great opportunity for Tennessee in a series they've just not had a lot of success lately in. It'll be a big victory for them heading into the rest of their season. All right, we've got one more game to talk about. Let's pregame the Arkansas at Texas A&M. Big Turf, real quick, A&M, two-point favorite? Yeah, as we sit here Wednesday night, two-point favorite A&M. Arkansas should be the favorite. I know what Arkansas did struggling last week. People that don't know this game see it's in the state of Texas, and they think, oh, a and going to have the crowd. It's going to be a 50-50 split. An Arkansas alum owns that building. His name is Jerry Jones. Uh, it's a game in which even when Arkansas was losing to North Texas and San Jose State and all those other teams, they still were competitive in this game. It's an old rivalry from another conference, but these two teams always seem to play up when they play each other. Texas A&M to me against Miami, they won. It's a, you know, top 15 win. They did what they had to do. I've still got so many questions. We don't have time here today to go over Texas A&M's offense and the questions I have. Yeah. I think Arkansas had a sleepwalker last week against an old former coach in Bobby Petrino, but they found a way. I think they're going to be physical. I know A&M in the back half struggles, but A&M is going to have to deal with the physicality of Arkansas. App State was physical with Texas A&M. They held the ball for over 40 minutes. It's going to be the same exact game plan for Arkansas with their quarterback and the running backs that they have. I have a hard time finding a way for Arkansas to lose this game. I was impressed, though. I got to be honest with you, Hester. I was impressed with the physicality that I saw on tape from the linebackers and secondary players for Texas A&M's defense. I thought they hit Miami receivers time and time again. I know that the Miami guys dropped a lot of footballs, but I think some of that had to do with how physical the Texas A&M was being with those guys early in the game. Um, I saw a much different level of, of taking responsibility from the defense than I saw against App State. And so I, I, I did like the way they were able to get off the field, maybe like the most, their red zone defense, uh, four trips down to that part of the field only accounted for a total of nine points for Miami. So they did give up some yards, but didn't necessarily give up uh, many points the other night. And then offensively, though, you, you talk about the issues. Like the offensive line, that's where we need to stop. It starts with the offensive line. They can't <laughs> run the football because the offensive line is not sound in terms of blocking up front. They can't pass protect all that well. Receivers aren't necessarily getting over. And I don't think the offense gives much of a, an option for a check down in a lot of cases for, for the quarterback, whether it be Haynes King or Max Johnson. Uh, I'm, I'm of the opinion that that 
offense needs to evolve a little bit more. And right now it is very stagnant because of the lack of creativity and the offensive line struggling the way that it has. I'm not ready to put a name on it because I want to see if they play better, but I will tell you this, they had two guards and I sent this to you earlier on pro football focus. They graded out at 14.6% and 21.8%. Yeah. That is atrocious. Yeah. A bad game on the offensive line on pro football focus is typically in the fifties. They were in the teens and the twenties. Dude, that, I was going to tell you, I, I, if it would have been the other way around, let's say they messed up on 14% of the plays. That would be kind of an average, you know, a B grade probably, <laughs> but these guys went ahead and went full antithesis of that with the uh, 14% grade. Like, I don't, I just don't know if they're going to find a way to put it together. Now, the interesting thing, and Big Turp, correct me if I'm wrong, Texas A&M is actually the favorite in this game, which has me a little concerned about their yeah, two-point two yeah. favorite. It, it does not compute for me. Yeah, I, it's one of those too-good-to-be-true lines in some ways, but I think you go back and you look at that Missouri State game, one of the things that, that concerned me was the uncharacteristic lack of focus early and more importantly, the turnovers. Arkansas had been the number one team in the conference when it comes to turnover margin. They'd only turned it over one time. They put it on the ground early in the game yeah. when they were going in, and they turned it over a total of three times. The turnover margin was minus three for that game. Those are things that we don't typically see from Sam Pittman's Arkansas teams. So I'm hoping that that was an aberration, but that could be a way that that certainly, you know, the, the Vegas folks may be looking at that point spread with the Aggies being favored by it too. Well, yeah. So with that, I was going to say, do you think that's more of a cause for concern or a, they're going to be hyper-focused on it and clean it up? Um, I mean, obviously I think, you know, the best scenario Hester in the world is to, to play poorly and, and, and win and be able to coach off of that tape than it is to, to think you're fine and everything's, you know, cruising along. So you, maybe you do take a harder cr critical look at some of the mistakes, including the, ball security, but I just, um, I wonder if that is more telling about who this team is. And we didn't talk about just defensively that they are last in the entire country when it comes to pass defense, giving up three like dead last yards. Yes. dead last You're without Jalen Catalan for the rest of the season. Word is miles slusher was back this week in practice. I'm not sure whether or not he's going to be ready for the game, but if so, he's a guy that brings you a ton of versatility had played in the nickel yeah. spot, can play corner, can play at both safety spots. They need him back there desperately because right now what they're doing is just not sound enough yeah. to be able to uh, to compete in the SEC defensively. Last point on this game because it's a great point you made. The good thing for Arkansas, Texas A&M right now is struggling with what they call yeah. the forward pass. <laughs> so at least in this game, they realize that A&M is struggling with it, and so maybe they can change some of the things they're doing defensively to try to give some help. Maybe God, I hate that this is even coming out of my mouth. Quarters coverage. Maybe you try to keep everything in front of you because you know Arkansas is going to tackle. They're going to be physical at the point. That's what they do extremely well. Maybe you give up some some throws to Max and Max. That's where he wants to live. He wants to live in that intermediate game. Maybe you maybe you try some different coverages. We know Barry Odom will switch it up there, but you got to figure out a way to try to. Change some things up. Max Johnson's played a lot of football in the SEC, but it is a new system for him, and Texas A&M struggling offensively. So we'll see how that matchup ends up playing out. Speaking of point spreads, let's go ahead and go real quick to best bets. 
You got a real chipper tone there, Hester. Oh, yeah, I did. Because you know, someone told me when I sent my picks in, I hate all of these picks. Yeah. And, you know, it turned out two and one on the week. I'm just yeah. saying. So the funny thing about it, Victor, in our group text, our pregame in the SEC group text, he, Hester hits us with him. And I almost threw up looking at him. <laughs> one, because I didn't like any of them. Two, they were mostly opposite of the ones that I liked. Yeah. And I think our records reflect who was actually right this week with the two yeah. and one weekend for you. What did I go? One and three? You yeah. did. You did. You cashed um, A&M minus six and a half, uh, but then missed on Mississippi State money line, Auburn plus three, and then UL Monroe plus 49 and a half, man. That was one of those that you were probably just sweating the whole time. It finishes with a 56-point margin. Mm-hmm. So, CD, on the season, five and five. Mm-hmm. You're, not, you're not losing. Uh, Hess? Excuse Coming yeah, back two and one, you know, I'm, going, I'm letting, I'm letting the people know I'm going four games this week to make up some ground and get a winning Let's record because go. I'm going four and no, oh, by don't God. push it. Don't push four. it. Don't, don't try. You know, I'm going four and no. take, take what he's, the he's universe four gives you. No. I'm going yeah, so four and no. LSU plus three cash for you. Uh, Ole Miss minus 16 and a half cash for you. South Carolina plus 26 was dead. After yeah, I'm done. I'm done order. with, I'm done with I, the South Carolina covering. I'm done. Told with you that. I'm done with it. It's over. All right. So has after you go four and zero this week, you will be seven and six. Yep. You can you can do the math there on your season long yep. record. But yep, keep an eye out for uh, best bets Friday night, Saturday morning. All right, fellas, I'm about to go mold some young minds in a flag football contest. We are playing the defending league champions next week. When you tune into episode five of pregaming the SEC, I'll let you know exactly how it went. They won't let me run load power here in the flag football league. It's what I know. We'll see if I can get a couple of ball plays going, CD. All right, man. Best of luck to you. Best of luck. Which which son is this? This is Hudson. This is Hudson. the one you've probably seen. I mean, he's he's got some moves. Got some wiggle. Got, I've seen the he's wiggle. He's got some wiggle, but yep. also he's got a wiggle back there in coverage as well. We'll see if he can get it done tonight. All right. Remember, this is brought to you by Walk Owns Sports Bistro Online. It's walk-owns.com. Find a location near you. We're on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, like and subscribe to this page. If you're listening on Apple, Spotify, do the same thing. Go ahead and get those notifications when we have a new episode. We will see you next week for pre-gaming the SEC week number five. We'll see you then.